This is Joshua Bill with the Kilt in the Cloth. I'm doing my interview about how I came to worship, interviewing Chris Thompson. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Thank you very much. Hello, this is Joshua Bell with the Kilt on the Cloth, and I'm interviewing one of my church members, Chris Thompson. Chris Thompson uh, joined our church recently, and uh, he and his wife and their three kids come to our church, and I am fascinated and very thankful for you doing this interview. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, no problem. Um, so let's just kind of get right down to it. The, the goal for this podcast is really specifically to talk about how people come into their faith. Um, I'm very fascinated with about how people look at worship experiences and where that happens in their own life and existence. So uh, I know a lot about bits and pieces of your faith. So in the midst of this, out of curiosity, how did you come to your faith? Sure. So really, in a lot of ways, I was born into it. I had a mom who was very devout, made sure we went to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday night. Uh, I happened to grow up in a neighborhood in uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma, where there were a couple kids in my neighborhood that also went to the same church. And so that made it kind of easy to go. And, you know, it was just kind of like we'd play at each other's houses and then we'd go to church together. And so that was a very natural thing. Uh, just getting exposed to the church through there was um, was how I kind of came to my faith. My, my dad wasn't quite as involved as my mom was on it, but she made sure we were there and and then, you know, you reach that point in your life where, okay, that's great. That's what your parents want for you. But is that what you want for you? And so, you know, you kind of go through those um, thoughts and stuff. And some of that's probably, you know, middle school-ish. And then some of it's when you move out on your own. And then you're, you're kind of, am I going to keep this going? Is this, do I know what I believe and why I believe it is what I used to kind of ask myself. That's awesome. And and then you get to that point. So when you when you were growing up, what, what kind of church did you mostly go to? Sure. It was, it was Church of Christ the whole way. All, all the way through. And so for my listeners, there's a there's a little bit of a difference between the Church of Christ a cappella and the and the United Churches of Christ. I, I say little, but I'm I'm meaning that as a joke. The UCC is extremely different than the Church of Christ a cappella. Now for us, uh, I think it's awesome that you and I've had this conversation before because the Church of Christ a cappella and the Christian Church Disciples of Christ were founded by the same person, you know, Alexander Campbell really kind of led that movement for us. Um, and and from your memory, do you ever remember, just out of curiosity, uh, why it was that we sang without instruments? Well, we had um, what I'd call urban legends that were why, and, and a lot of it had to do about with money and how money should be properly spent, and you shouldn't spend all this money on big pipe organs and, mm-hmm. and different instruments to be able to make music at church, that that money should be going to more benevolence, easy for me to say. And so <laughs> we would, um, so that was the reasoning we were given. And then there, there was other reasoning, like sometimes they tell us, oh, well, it's not to distract from God. If you're playing an instrument, then then that's about you. It's not about God anymore. And so, you know, the answers would vary throughout time, but but never really, a, hey, this is the verse in the scripture that says you shouldn't be doing this. That's, that's awesome. I'd say that's awesome because... Those are almost identical to Alexander Campbell's words. Like his his main issue with instrumentation in the worship place was that we have money that we could be spending someplace else. We don't need to buy these great big European pipe organs, which is why the whole purpose of them doing that was. Um, and it, it started to slowly move 
when Barton W. Stone gets into involved, but I could I could talk all day long about Stone Campbell and worship, but it's always fascinating me because everybody that I've ever met, because we have the same traditions that we're brought up with, um, but when we talk about music, there's this really fine line about how that works in worship um, for instrumentation or non-instrumentation. So, so out of curiosity, you know, growing up Church of Christ acapella. Uh, what kind of brought you to First Christian Church uh, in Perry? So we started coming to First Christian Church mainly because my wife, Jamie, was a school teacher. And then you started subbing at the school and doing some help out there in just different ways. And she said, hey, you know, I've, I've met this. I met the preacher at the First Christian Church, and he seems like a good guy. I, I really enjoy talking to him. I think that maybe, you know, with our young family, he's a a fit for what we're looking for. We kind of struggled since we came to Perry. Do we go to Stillwater for church? Do we mm-hmm. go somewhere in Perry? Mm-hmm. Some of the places in Perry weren't always just felt like a fit for us. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to try this and, and it worked out to be a good fit. I, I absolutely agree. I also think it's a little funny cause uh, you and I were basically raised at the same church, but in different places, you know, just the way we talk about stuff. But um, so baptism is a huge portion of who we are in our faith tradition. Um, so what does baptism mean to you? So growing up, baptism was, you know, just it was something that you did whenever you decided on your own that, you know, I'm not going to church because mom and dad want me to. I'm not going to church because I think it's the right thing to do. I'm doing it because this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I want to be involved. And I believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God and died and was raised again. And he teaches, you know, repentance and baptism and so that's what you should do so i did that around uh, fourth grade is whenever i became oh, baptized. Wow. fourth grade that's a that's kind of young for us i mean i think i was 10 i might have been in fifth grade i feel like but um so so how did it work like paint me a picture of what your baptism looked like sure so the first thing that we did is uh, when I told my mom that I thought I was ready to be baptized, she took me down to meet with one of the elders of the church and just kind of talk about it. And so we talked about it a little bit. And I had a, I'd always had really good church camp experiences. And he said, well, when do you want to be baptized? And I don't remember exactly what month it was, but I remember saying, well, I've always had good experiences at church camp. I'd kind of like to be baptized at church camp. And he pulled out the calendar and turns a couple of pages and says, okay, well, that's in, that's in, you know, July. Can you wait that long? I said, well, I I guess if that's what I got to do to do that, I can wait that long. And he said, well, Chris, why don't you come back and talk to me when you can't wait another minute more? Nice. And so, so, you know, so I kind of thought about what that meant. A couple of weeks passed. And then I remember telling my mom, okay, I'm, I'm ready. And then we went and got baptized. It's, it's fairly traditional. Of course I say it's traditional. I grew up in church of Christ. And so I'm assuming everybody knows. Right. But you know, you have the invitation after the sermon. Okay. Go forward. And then, you know, they sing a couple songs while they put you in a, in some kind of a robe type situation so that you can get out into the water and, and then they immerse you and then you, then you go back and you're all wet and you change clothes. So there was a baptistry in the sanctuary. Yes. Okay. So that's, that's another thing that a lot of my listeners don't necessarily attribute. Like they, they see it at our church Mm -hmm. at, at first Christian church of Perry, but a lot of churches didn't have baptistries. And so when we're talking about it, like you said, the traditional part, like this idea of having a bathtub mm-hmm. inside a church is is how it's usually referred to as me. So that's uh, I'm really glad that you brought that up. So so you were in fourth grade. It took place in the worship service. This would have been what March, April. 
Yeah, I would say that's probably the back half of fourth grade. Would be my guess. Yeah, and I and, and I'm and I'm curious because this is always one of those liturgical differences between the Church of Christ and uh, the Christian Church. Did you did you talk about it as an Easter conversation? No, 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 no. In, in fact, to be totally honest, uh, when we got my boys baptized, and you'd said, "Well, traditionally, it's somewhere around Easter." I, that's the first I'd ever heard of that. That's what I was curious. Like, like in when I was growing up, they. Uh, about Easter, right at the beginning of Lent, because we actually talked about Lent, um, we would do these pastor classes like I did with the boys. And um, Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday was the day that we'd have 10 or 12 kids make a profession of faith, and then on Easter Sunday they were baptized. It just It always happened that way. So I think it's awesome that both traditions have a the, the idea of immersion as the importance but it's awesome to me that so much of an importance was put in your background on it had to be a true belief thing. It wasn't, you ten, hit 10 years old, this is what you do. Right. You know, so I, I, I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, it, it's interesting not to go down too much of a rabbit hole, but it wasn't until I started kind of worshiping outside the Church of Christ that things like Ash Wednesday or Palm Sunday or even the Advent or any of these things really right were talked about in a church setting. All that stuff was was not talked about in the Church of Christ I grew up in at all. Yeah, no, that's historically it, it it's it's been a very short period of time that we've been doing that. So I wanna say probably from the thirties on the disciples of Christ participated in that. Um, you know, the Church of Christ uh, I say broke off but veered in a different direction at about nineteen eleven from the Stone Campbell movement and and most of the reason you probably didn't have that would have been because it looks European. If it sounds European, looks European, uh, they, they, they got rid of it. It just wasn't a part of who they were, uh, which is, I, I kind of appreciate that. Like, I struggle sometimes with how we do liturgy when it doesn't mean the same to us as it does our um, brothers and sisters that are from European traditions. So, um so you were immersed. It took place when you were about that point. So then communion becomes a big conversation for me. So tell me a little bit about what communion means to you. Sure. So communion in in a, what I was taught and what I believe is that it's it's a remembrance. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, you're remembering the sacrifice that Christ made. It's a it's a kind of a small reenactment of of the um, Last Supper. Nice. And so that's, that's always what I was taught. That's what I... What I believe they, it's all when you're in the Church of Christ, it's almost like a ticket too. It's like, well, okay, now you're a full fledged member. Now you're a real boy. Mm-hmm. You can, right, right. You can um, take communion now. You're you're full now. You're a full member. It, it's interesting. Some of my experiences with communion over the years, as I, as Jamie and I got married and we started looking for a church home, and we've I moved several times with my job, and and we would experience different churches. There was one particular church that I'd prefer not to name that. Um, that would deny me communion mm-hmm. because I wasn't, even though I was baptized and even though I believe I was a believer, I wasn't in their sect and, and blessed in their sect. And so, and so they wouldn't, uh, they would deny, deny me communion. And then I would go and worship with Jamie there sometimes and she would go forward and get communion. And I'd have to sit there. And, and that's a pretty weird feeling to be honest. Right. Well, we grew up with this idea that everybody, well, not everybody, you and I were still part of the generation that, believed if you didn't do it a certain way you couldn't have it like mm-hmm. that was a that was a thing so uh, 
So yeah, no, that that's definitely not something that we do. Do you remember the first time you took communion? I don't. Would it? Do you think it would have been shortly after the baptism? Oh yeah, it, it would have been. It, it would have been the next Sunday that I attended, or the next event I attended. That's uh, that was that was a big deal for me. Believe it or not, a lot of my listeners have a different experience with what you and I experienced with being baptized, and then communion happened either that day or the week after. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people just took it at different random times in their existence, but they all have something similar with us in the sense of being denied communion. Like that was a that was a big problem that they had mm-hmm. growing up. So how? Okay, so when you're talking about this idea of the remembrance of the meal, the Last Supper, how, how was that introduced to you? Do you think, was it like through a Sunday school? Was it church camp? Yeah, it would have been probably probably a um, Sunday school situation. But they also, a lot of times we would have, where they would come up before the Lord's Supper and they would have what I'd call get your mind right minutes where they would you know, talk about what the importance of communion is or they would read a passage about the Last Supper or, or they'd talk about how Jesus broke the bread and, and did these things. And so, so that was, I think just growing up and that being immersed in that, it was just natural to think of it that way. That's cool. Uh, I, I was just thinking about how it was introduced to me. Would have, I think my dad just had that conversation with me about what it means and, and how it was supposed to go. So I've always just been curious about how that works. So you said it. Uh, so you attended church camp. Yes. So uh, when and where? So like what age groups and, and where was it? Yeah, I, I'm trying to think. We we had a junior camp, and so that probably would have been third, fourth, second grade maybe even. I, I do remember a funny story that my mom tells me. She dropped me off for church camp on a Sunday, and I think Wednesday is what junior, when junior camp left. And they had packed all these clothes for me. And I always think of myself as, as a pretty clean and neat person, but apparently I was wearing the exact same thing she dropped me off in. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so apparently I had a good time. That I didn't even have time to change clothes. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'd always enjoyed that. It's, it was always a mountaintop experience for me to, to kind of be there and, and that be your focus and not have to worry about a lot of extra stuff. And, and we didn't have very, we didn't have large church camps. You, know, you grow up and you listen to, um, so some people from other uh, doctrines talk about going to Falls Creek and there being right. you know, 300, 400 people there. And, and it, that wasn't the church camp experience that we had. We we would go with other churches. We'd go with um, Grove Church of Christ. We'd go with Wagner Church of Christ. There, there were some other kind of in that northeast Oklahoma area we would go to church with and go to church camp with. But then the church camps were probably, you know, 100 is probably the biggest we ever got on, on of yeah. attendees. So it, we would go to a place called Burnt Cabin, which was on, in Tahlequah or outside of Tahlequah on Lake Tenkiller. Oh, wow. Cool. And, and it was very rustic, very no heating, no air conditioning, no heating the showers. The showers were cold. You had barracks. It was very, very, um, very, very rustic. And it was, they had a little canteen. And I remember that being the first time I ever got exposed to like something called a canteen. And, right. And it was, you know, you had your little money and you had to make it last all week to go get your treat after after sermon, but it was um, it was a good experience. I did that every year. I was eligible to do it, which I I believe started in second grade all the way up through high school. Would go back when I was in high school and counsel at the junior camps, and then my um, junior and senior years, we had a we had a preacher uh, Grady King 
who was a really, really enjoyed him a lot. He was a good guy, and he had had some experience from Texas, and they had something called Sooner Camp, which was down on Lake Texoma. And so they'd have an Oklahoma week, and they'd have a Texas week, and he actually took a couple of the guys and girls from our youth group and to that camp, our junior and senior years, and on the Texas week. And that was always fun and interesting because you got to meet other people from the church and right. in a totally different area, you know, new girls. And so that was right, fun. Right, right, right. And so so you get to do that. And that was um, that was always interesting. And I really enjoyed that as well. So because uh, church, the reason I always ask this question about is, is church camp worship is something completely different. Like it's a, it's, it's hard to explain it. Like you, you use the phrase mountaintop experience. Like you, you have this, and and uh, I directed camps for about twenty years. So when I think of camp, I just think of all the planning that has to go into <laughs> it. So, but I, I hear people say all the time that there was a mountaintop experience for worship at camp. Uh, did you have that kind of experience at camp? And if you did, do you remember kind of a little bit about what it was? Well, when I when I say that, I think you know you grow, growing up in a public school. Which, which is great. I mean, my wife teaches public school. I don't mean, think it's public schools at all. But growing up in public school, you're always kind of on guard, especially when you're in junior high, right. about, hey, do I fit in? You know, what do people think about when I'm a Christian? These people are doing this. Are they judging me for doing that? And and when you go to church camp, in my mind, everybody's on the same page. Right. And so you kind of kind of go in, and, and I'm sure there were people there who weren't there for that experience. But, but by and large, 99% of the people are there and they understand, okay, we're going to have a lot of learning about God. We're going to do a lot of singing, a whole lot of singing. We're going to do, you know, it's not, we're not going to worry about these other things and, and all this other secular stuff. This is a time to put all that away and really focus. And and so that's what I always enjoyed about it. That is super awesome. Um, so transitioning from that into today's idea of worship, what what is it? Like my question is, is like, what's your favorite part of worship? And um, and and I literally just mean it. Like, I don't want you to think about, like, you don't have to say the sermon. It, it could be any part of the service that you want. Like, if, if it's, I like the prayer time, or I like the quiet during the prelude. It it could be the sermon time, but at the same time, I I am very fascinated as to wh- where do you feel the presence of the divine in worship today? Yeah. So I wrote down because I got these questions in advance. I wrote down singing, and during the singing, and then I, um, then I immediately thought, man, maybe I should say something about the sermon because I'm going to be talking to Josh. But but the the honest answer is the singing. In fact, I I'm a singer. I, I'm not a very good singer at all. But I, I sing in the shower. I sing at the house. My oldest son Aiden also sings, which really drives my wife crazy. But um, that's just what we. You know, that's just something that I do. And my wife can even tell me, you know, she can tell if I'm really stressed or if I've had a bad couple of days or if I'm upset with her or something because she'll, she'll say, well, you're not singing. So I know something's wrong. Oh, wow. And so that's just that's just kind of who I am. And, and I've always enjoyed that. She's kind of teased me about it. And I will tease her back and say, well, I don't know what you're going to do about heaven because from what I can understand, it's pretty much all singing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I agree with that 100%. So it's... um. I'm looking forward to getting my heavenly singing voice, so I don't have to be embarrassed by it. Nice, but but It'll other than all that, sound the same. Yeah, my um, I, I can tell you when we went to church in Muskogee, and I'd moved out and was in college or an adult on my own. My brother said he would always know whenever I got to church because I'm notoriously late everywhere I go. But I would be a little bit late, and I'd come in and, and it'd be the row behind my parents a lot of times if the if the row with them was already full. 
And my brother would always say, I always know when you're in there because I can start hearing you singing. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, and, and I think, you know, growing up in the acapella tradition, right. I used to explain it to my friends because they always thought it was just weird that right. we didn't have instruments. Like, I can't believe you guys don't have instruments. And I always would explain it as, well, you know, it just encourages people to be involved. Yeah. And, because if you're all just, if no one's going to sing, you're just going to all be standing around looking at each other, which is going to be a little weird. So, but um, the transition over to a non acapella service wasn't as as uh, dramatic as I thought it was going to be. It's um, it's more just the songs that we sing and and enjoying those songs, and, and the songs are very similar, and so that translates over. So, uh, because singing is a huge part of both of our lives, um, what what's your favorite hymn? So, if you if you go with like traditional hymns, uh, it's um, it is well with my soul. Oh yeah, is is my favorite one. And so that's a beautiful, beautiful song. So, uh, going from a, a non-liturgical background to uh, a more liturgical one, um, what would you say is your favorite season of the year today? No, I think you know my favorite season of the year has always been spring. Spring, and it's just I think that that's you know I think that comes with a background too of just you know of baptism of starting things new I've made all things new again and and just like I've always loved new years for the same reason it's it's just like this I know you don't need an excuse to start over but it's like this okay here's a break and now we're going to start over yeah yeah and, no, I agree and I really enjoy spring for that as well that's super awesome uh so now these these questions are, are really more from just kind of my research but like uh we, we at church have a tendency to use a lot of what I, what I refer to as churchy words. Like uh, we say communion, we say baptism. Uh, some churches would say Eucharist. Uh, some people would say um, an anointing service, you know, that type of thing. Um, so, but we, we tend to throw out this word a lot about what is outreach. And so I'm curious as to what does outreach mean to you? And then the second part of this is, is, where do you see that here? Sure. Outreach, in my mind, is the things that we do with the food pantry okay. and and things like that. So I, I think it's maybe one of the other questions here. So I'm going to kind of jump fine. ahead if you don't mind. In, in my mind, you know, what's evangelism? What's outreach? Yeah, right. Uh, evangelism, in always in my mind, is taking care of someone's soul. And and so, you know, you're, you're trying to talk to them about Christ, you're trying to exemplify that in your life, but you're also trying to get them to understand intellectually what's going on, what's what the Bible says, and and getting that into their in their brain and, and kind of figuring out where they are experience wise and, and where and you know and where you are and where the commonality is so you can talk to them. Mm-hmm. Outreach is is um, obviously it's more modeling Christ in my mind. So it, it's not necessarily going out and in preaching the good word, it, as much as it's showing the good word, it's showing Christ's love out in the community by doing stuff for shut-ins, by visiting people, by doing the uh, food pantry that we do, those types of things. Nice. Uh, so that took care of uh, the evangelism question. And I, uh, for us, outreach is exactly what you're talking about. Evangelism is uh, something that we're still kind of fleshing out because, like you said, this it's a little bit of both and, but it's really about how do we nurture people's souls and bring them closer to Christ. Like that's in a lot of sense of what we're trying to understand. And so because you and I grew up in a, a, the Stone Campbell tradition, uh, we have passages of Scripture in our head because we were 
taught to memorize them as kids. And, um, you know, that phrase, no book, the Bible means something a little bit different in the way that we look at things. So I have to ask the question, like, what is your favorite scripture? So I thought about that a little bit last night, and I wrote down uh, Psalms 4610, uh, which is, um, the, the verse has more to it, but the main part of it is, be still and know that I am God. Nice. And and I think, when I think about that, uh, one of the things I really enjoy about the Bible is that it's this collection of books over, you know, a, a pretty vast period of time. And it's been gone through and canonized and people have done all these things to figure out, okay, what books belong, what books don't. But at the end of the day, we've had the same Bible for, for a pretty good while now. Right. And and it's been part of my life, all my life, not always as much as it should have been. But every time I go back to it, it's something new to me. And so, you know, be still and know that I am God at some point in my life was, okay, you need quiet time right. and you need to go out into the, you need to go out and just be still and understand that, you know, everything else goes, everything's going to take care of itself. You don't have to fix everything. You don't have to be in control of everything. Mm-hmm. Just be still. And in other times in my life, it's been, it's been similar to that, but it's been, you know, stop doing so much, Chris, mm-hmm. stop trying to force the outcome. Just be still. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily a nature, go out and be in nature, which which I have done and do sometimes, but just just cut it out. I'm God. I will take care of it. You know, nice. you're not you're not gonna outsmart me, you're not gonna force things that aren't in the time. Just chill. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I mean, I think that's a sermon all by itself. <laughs> <laughs> like for real. Like I, I think I love that passage of scripture. Well, Chris, I, I wanted to say thank you very much for participating with me in this interview. It's, as we continue to have this conversation with members of our church about their their moments of faith and how they came into it, and I just want to say thank you again for participating in this. Yeah, my pleasure.